Today I will read from Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 14. So Mark chapter 15, verse 1 through 14. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made, made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all louder, crucify him. Okay, Mark 15, 15 to 24. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and hand him, handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. Mark 15, verse 25, now it was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those passing by were hurling abuses at him, <clears throat> shaking their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also with the scribes were mocking him, among others saying, and the they were saying, he saved others, he can't even save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Mark chapter 15, uh, verse 33 to 39. And it reads, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, 
he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stove, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The coating of the temple was torn in, in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Sorry, this man was the Son of God. Amen. It is an honor to address you today. Um, this is a very special day for me. Um, I, sat, I stood up here singing and tears in my eyes, my savior died for me. We remember that today. In America, growing up, especially when I was younger, um, the churches there, we would typically have a church service on Good Friday in the evening after dark. And we would, at the end of the service, everything was very somber. Everything was very sad. As Andres was saying, there were certain things you do not do on Good Friday. And we would have a candlelight service. And we would light candles. They'd turn off all the lights. And we would pass the fire one from another. And then at the end, we, there would be a closing prayer and everybody had their candles and we walked out of the service silent. And you did not talk until after you got in your car and were on your way home. I'm going to do things a little bit different, okay? Have you ever wondered why it's called Good Friday? Why in the English language do we refer to it as Good Friday? My Savior was hung on a tree. What's good about that? Well, when you stop and think about it, I was condemned by God to suffer that very death. So when I remember that he did it for me, it makes me feel good. So it is a good day. And I used that thought in titling this, this sermon. It's a scandalous, beautiful night. It was very scandalous. But it was also a beautiful act of love of God for us. I want you to thank for a minute, everybody. I want you to think back to the very first breath you took. How many can remember your very first breath? Can remember being born? In John, when he was writing his gospel, he started off, in the beginning was God. God existed before time. And Jesus was with him, and he was him, and he created all things. God is not like us. God is timeless. 
Not only that, he keeps his word always. How many of us have ever made a promise that we didn't keep? Uh, there's an author that I really like in America. He's, he's dead now. He's been dead. He was lived in the 1800s. But he had a, um, a saying in a, a poem that he wrote that a promise made is a debt unpaid. It is a debt we have to whoever we made the promise to. Well, if you think about it, God made a promise. He made a statement in the Garden of Eden when he cursed man and he cursed woman and he cursed Satan. He made a promise to Satan. One will come that will crush your head. You'll bruise his heel but he'll, you'll crush, he'll crush your head. And he always keeps his word. God knew all the way back in the Garden of Eden how he was going to redeem man. He made that statement to Satan in front of Adam and Eve. And he did not forget. God remembers his promises no matter how long it might take in our years because his time is not like our time. God had a covenant with Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham was that through him, first he would be the father of a huge nation and through him the entire world would be blessed. Now, Abraham did not live to see that promise, that covenant fulfilled other than a child. But God still fulfilled that promise to him. Through him, many generations later, came Jesus. And the entire world, because of that, was blessed. In Egypt, hundreds of years after Abraham, his family, more or less, extended family down the generations, spent 400 years in Egypt, part of that as a slave to the Pharaoh. And God delivered them. He delivered them by killing the firstborn son of everybody. And he told Moses, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass through and I'm going to kill the firstborn son of every family in Egypt. But then he made a way for them. He said, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to cut its throat and bleed it clean and then butcher it and eat it and take that blood and put it on your doorpost. And when I see that blood, I will pass over your house and your firstborn son will live. A lamb had to die. 
Now, sacrificial lambs um, were, they had to be without blemish. They had to be a male, and they had to be in the prime of their life, which for a sheep was one year old. Um, as years went on, God instructed Moses to have the Israelites remember what happened in Egypt by reliving it every year. Now, they did this on their lunar calendar, and he gave them a date. And the date fell, according to their lunar calendar, it was uh, so many days after the spring equinox. And it had to be after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Now, it's no coincidence that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking along, he told his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God that does what? That takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say the sins of the Jews. He said the sins of the world. That means the sins of people from Africa, from India, from Egypt, yes, even Egyptians, from Australia, from Vietnam, from China, from even America. It can take away our sins. But a lamb had to die. As the years went by, the, the Jews, as we, we all know, they added to the things that God had instructed them to do, and they made all these extra rules and extra traditions. And one of those traditions was it was that, that people typically were supposed to bring their own lamb to the high priest, and the priest would kill the lamb and... Uh, but they would oftentimes find blemishes on the lamb and say, you can't use that, you have to buy one of ours. And so it finally got to the point where they just said, we will raise our lambs and you come and buy them from the temple. And it was a scam. It was a money-making scam. But these lambs were raised close to Jerusalem. It was actually west of Jerusalem so that they could easily be herded to the temple. And I'm told that the rolling hills just outside of Bethlehem was the ideal place to raise sheep. And there, shepherds guarded the flocks of the temple sheep whose one purpose in life was to die. They were born, they were sifted through, they were looked for any blemishes, they were raised very, uh, very well fed, they were taken care of in these lush green hills, and then they were herded to the temple where they were used as sacrifices. And it's no coincidence that 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And as shepherds were guarding their flocks by night, you ever heard that phrase? The angel spoke to them about the Lamb of God. Now, they didn't use those words. They, they just said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But it was a huge celebration. The last sacrificial lamb that was needed had been born. Now, John also tells us that those that he made, those he had chosen as his people, those he had come to save, rejected him. And we see that in Mark 14 and 15. We see the total rejection. The Lamb of God had to be crucified. Now, the rejection of Jesus by these people seems like a horrible thing. But if you think about it, it I benefited from it. You benefited from it. If you're a child of God, you benefited from their rejection of Jesus. And they rejected him to the point that they had so much hatred they broke various laws. I'm told up to 10, I've read, up to 10 laws giving him an illegal trial. If a man was crucified, I mean, if a man was arrested at night or in the evening, he was to be held in a cell until morning. Courts were not allowed to take place at night. And yet we see in, in Luke 14 that for six hours, Jesus was tried. They had paid somebody to betray him, which was against the Jewish laws, and these were the priests that did it. They had made up charges. We read where the witnesses that were, were making these charges couldn't even agree with each other. They got their stories all mixed up. Again, they had the, the, the trial by night. And we see that even after they took him to Pilate, Pilate said, I see no reason to crucify. I see no reason for him to be punished this way. And yet they rioted. The priests especially were the ones that, that riled up the crowd. We read today where, where Pilate says, so what do you want me to do with this man, this king of the Jews? And they said, crucify him. Pilate said, I, I see no reason for this. And he washed his hands. He says, I'm, I'm washing my hands of the whole mess. This is your decision, not mine. And they were happy. They were getting what they wanted. Timelessness. I mentioned time 
early on, Jesus was timeless. He was before our time started and he will be after it ends. But for a brief period of time, he stepped into time. Now that just, when I heard that phrase, timelessness stepped into time, that blew me away when I, when I really stopped and thought about what that meant. Timelessness stepped into time. Eternally living and yet willing to die. The perfect, sinless God took on himself the curse of our sins. I was reading with Gene in the Bible, and there were numerous times that Jesus did things that should have made him unclean by Jewish law. He touched lepers. He touched dead people. He touched their funeral buyer. But it was his touch, his holiness, was inferred onto who he touched. And they became alive. Has his holiness touched you? Has Jesus reached out and touched you? As we spend our time reflecting on Jesus's scandalous death, I would like us to remember and to see the beauty and the hope that the cross gives. Yes, it is scandalous. It was illegal. It was... Uh, it should never have happened. But it was a beautiful act of sacrifice. A sacrifice that gave us deliverance from the bondage of sin and saving us from final judgment. Now, this doesn't mean that there won't be trials in life. Doesn't mean that everything will go easy for us. Uh, Jesus told his disciples... In this world, you will have tribulation. Eleven of the twelve original apostles died brutal, brutal deaths. Some were skinned alive. Some were run through by spears. But it was brutal deaths. But then Jesus went on and said, Be of good cheer for I've overcome this world. Be of good cheer. Be happy. You know, I, I've read a quote that God's primary purpose is not our happiness. It's our holiness. God wants us to be with him, to spend eternity with him. And so he's more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Now, that doesn't mean that we oftentimes receive blessings that will make us happy, but it doesn't make us immune. And he wanted our holiness so much 
that he was willing to come in the person of Jesus and lay down his life on our behalf. God did not forget. It was thousands of years later. But God answered his promise. The entire world was blessed. All people groups were blessed through the seed of Abraham. Again, God's time is not like our time. He doesn't always do things by our timetable. And he is not like us in forgetting our promises. He remembers all his promises. And that's why it's important to read our Bibles and study our Bibles. Because it's full of God's promises to us. Let us remember the cross. Let us remember the scandal. Let us see the beauty and remember God always, always answers his promises. Amen.